We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Wyrock, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Brandon Poen and F. Scott Thiel. And today we, are, we have the esteemed pleasure of talking with Dr. Lisa Dorsey, and she is coming on the show today to talk about the American Council of Academic Physical Therapy, or ACAP. Graduate Outcomes Task Force. She is the chair of this task force, so she knows a lot about this topic. Dr. Dorsey also holds the position of assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy and Athletic Training at the Doisy College of Health Sciences at St. Louis University. And she's co-founder and president of Eloquencia Consulting, a holistic firm that supports professional development within organizations specifically focused on higher education. And she also just recently finished a tenure at her, in her local com- community as the secretary for the Board of Education in the Melville School District. So she's very, very, very busy. Lisa, thank you for joining us on this podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat this evening, and it's really terrific to be part of the podcast. So you, uh, obviously, I've known you for many years now, and I've admired everything that you've done, and we've had this conversation before, but for our listeners that maybe don't know about you or um, don't know a lot about your accomplishments, maybe give them some background about who you are and where you got to where you are today in your academic journey. Okay, well, as you mentioned, um, one, of the, one of my roles is a faculty member in the PT program at St. Louis University. Um, I am also the uh, president and co-founder of Eloquencia Consulting, which is um, a, a firm that works on primarily right now professional development of women in the workplace and um, establishing programs to support um, those kinds of initiatives. Um, I have also served in a number of uh, faculty positions and administrative roles. Um, As you had kind of questioned, how did the journey begin? Um, I actually look back to my clinical instructor days, which is really um, a lot of fun as a clinician to really be able to um, work with the very energetic students who are just, you know, waiting to learn something new. And you see that that early passion around physical therapy practice. And so I did that for with a number of students. And once I finished my MBA, I was um, 
fortunate to join Washington University's physical therapy program as a lab assistant and then moved up to, um, uh, through the ranks, I should say, into a instructor position. And uh, shortly after that time, my husband was transferred to Minnesota, which is probably the moment, I think, of when my career was kind of catapulted uh, forward. We found ourselves at the University of Minnesota, which is a very large public institution. And I had always said I wasn't going to go back to school unless I was in an environment where somebody was going to be, you know, helping me financially. And lo and behold, I found myself in that environment and took full advantage of having the opportunity to become a faculty member at that institution for 10 years and be surrounded um, with the, the wealth of knowledge, um, not only by my PT faculty um, colleagues, but also just everybody on that campus and, and succeeded in completing my PhD in educational policy and administration in higher education. And, um, and that just opened up so many doors um, and opportunities both within higher education and outside of higher education. And once I came back to St. Louis, I uh, joined St. Louis University, which is my alma mater. I was here as an undergraduate PT student. So that does uh, tell you, uh, dates me, I guess, a little bit. Um, and I served as associate dean um, for academic and student affairs for the Doisy College of Health Sciences. And moved into the dean's position and, and then finally into an associate provost position for undergraduate education for the university at large. So um, those are a few of the, the areas that uh, I've had um, some opportunities to grow within higher education. Yeah, Lisa, that absolutely amazing journey. And you know, for our listeners who may be hearing this for the first time, could you maybe tell them what the American Council of Academic Physical Therapy, uh, AKA ACAPT does? Yeah, so, you know, very simplistically put from my understanding is uh, that ACAPT is an organization that is working to move the academic side of uh, physical therapy education forward, and at the same time also looking at how are we developing leaders within the profession and, and moving um, physical therapists forward at, um, at, at the same time as we're looking at kind of what are the inputs and what are the outputs and, you know, how are we all moving that profession forward. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful take because a while back we actually had Barb Sanders come on to kind of talk about an overview of ACAPT and kind of what they've been working on. And to be honest, that was really enlightening to kind of hear all the behind the scenes and how that's working. So I have tremendous respect for what ACAPT's working on because I know they've got a lot going on and they're doing a lot of work. I agree. I think it's a very dynamic organization. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. And there's so many things that they're doing in there. And of course, with our focus tonight is focusing on the Graduate Outcomes Task Force. And, you know, per ACAP's website stating that the goal of this task force is to make a recommendation to ACAP on the feasibility of identifying a common standardized set of expected graduate outcomes that has the potential to be adopted by all programs. So before we kind of get into that, what are and were some of the problems with current DPT education that really prompted this task force and how did this task force form to kind of give some context to our listeners? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you guys have had the opportunity to, to speak to so many um, people within the profession that have, have also kind of highlighted um, the fact that as PT educators and as our um, PT um, profession at this point in time, we are uh, we are many, but we are one in that we 
we have some inconsistencies, um, if you will, with regard to what those outcomes look like when you complete a PT program. Now, granted, of course, we have our CAPTI guidelines and, and those core documents for APTA that, that all provide us that foundational um, knowledge and, and, and direction and where we're going. But I think there was um, some needs that had been identified that we needed to have that kind of consistent baseline outcome knowledge within PT education. And so ACAP put out um, a, a query for those who might be interested in serving on this committee in like April of 2016. And um, when people applied to that particular ask, they chose individuals and put the task force together. And I can elaborate more on that if you'd like, or um, I'm not sure how much detail you want around that, but uh, we certainly had, we just had a terrific task force. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to kind of hear a little bit of kind of how that was kind of formed, just because maybe if some of our listeners aren't kind of sure how something like that's put together, because I know some people might be thinking, well, how did this all come to be? I don't know if I trust that, you know? Sure, sure. So again, we, um, you know, it was a a volitional opportunity, so we could um, apply if we were interested, and um, they chose a task force of five, so it was really individuals who have experience um, within PT education, PT practice, et cetera, um, and had a passion around what the, the future of physical therapy education and practice was going to look like or could look like. And so um, it was myself and Terry Nordstrom and Nanette Highland and Sherry Roni Adams and Yasser Salem. And um, we all five came together and pulled from all of our backgrounds, um, that experience and the literature and all of the processes and task forces, et cetera, that we'd all been involved in. We brought all of that to the task force. And then we cast a net that was even much larger than that and put it out to our colleagues and our peer professions, et cetera, and drew on all of that knowledge in addition to association knowledge and CAPTI knowledge and federation knowledge, et cetera, and kind of brought all that together and had really uh, robust and spirited and energizing conversations for a period of six months. And then we put together a final recommendation to the task force. They gave us a window of six months. So we started meeting in June of 2016. I was the chair of it, um, identified as the chair. And then we met every two weeks, I think, uh, through December 2016. And that's when we actually submitted our final recommendation um, to the ACAP board. Did you guys collect any data? Uh, Like, uh, did you make your recommendations based on data that you collected? And if so, um, how did you go about collecting it, and what did you learn from the data or the discussions that you had? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, um, data, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a big word, <laughs> because when we set out to inform ourselves of, you know, how do we tackle this large, very important topic to um, our profession as we move forward. Um, We really uh, discussed what are the resources and what are the sources that really were going to inform us the best in order to, um, in order to make the right recommendation. And so we really um, didn't have hard data from a numeric viewpoint. But what we did was we, we looked into the literature at our foundational documents. We looked into the literature at um, APTA board of directors documents where recommendations had been made 
relative to this topic. We looked at peer professions um, and other professions who had already established outcomes for, um, for their particular profession and what were they gaining from that. And um, I personally was um, the chair of um, implementing and assessing and revising our undergraduate student learning outcomes at an institutional level here at SLU. And so I kind of pulled from that information to say, what, how did that inform us as a group? So we, we brought all that together, not in a numeric sense, but in an informative sense of what worked when outcomes were established how were those outcomes established for those particular professions? What were the challenges along the way that would help us keep in mind um, what kind of framework we would need to have in place if indeed the recommendation went forward to establish the outcomes? And so we pulled all that particular information together and that's really kind of what informed us. And also the, um, the outcomes of other task forces and um, groups like the Excellence Task Excellence in PT Education Task Force, you know, all of that kind of information, and that really informed us to um, to come up with our final um, our final recommendation to the board. I think we reviewed about ninety nine different documents, and that uh, and it was very exhaustive. So it it was from medicine, and it was from nursing, and of course it was from PT you know, PT literature, APTA documents, CAPD, Federation. Um, and as I said, we cast a, a very large net. We looked at vet med, we looked at public health, we looked at health sciences, athletic training, physician assistants. So we really looked at all of those areas and said, what are they doing? How has it been successful? What are the outcomes of their initiatives? And how does that help us as a physical therapy profession to determine which steps we take and, um, and what they would look like if we went down this road. And we found the most data, if you will, um, within medicine, uh, within nursing, and within pharmacy. And medicine and pharmacy are now moving um, into the world of developing EPAs or entrustable professional activities, which are those applied, if you will, um, activities um, from competencies or competency-based education that's then supervised by a mentor in the clinic or preceptor in the clinic, et cetera. So they're really moving into that particular um, realm of assessment in a, that clinical model. Actually, you guys may recall that last April, the education section sponsored the Entrustable Professional Activities Lesson um, from med medical education hosted by Dr. Gail Jensen, which was really informative to help us as physical therapists to start thinking about what those outcomes look like relative to that kind of competency-based education model and EPAs for physical therapy. And there's also some literature. Um, Chesbro et al. has uh, published a, a document looking at whether or not EPAs um, are, are right, if you will, or it's, is the time right, et cetera, for physical therapy education. So those are a few areas that we looked at in order to make sure that uh, we were representing our profession uh, well in, in a real exhaustive sense of uh, development. 
Yeah, Lisa, we've had a, a couple of uh, MDs who were who also professors on the show uh, before, and as well as uh, some pharmacy students. And that seemed to be the growing trend was that we're moving toward more experiential learning and more mentorship mm-hmm. type stuff and trying to get more out of the uh, lecture-based learning. Um, and it seems to have been working wonders, uh, especially in the medical field. Um, but when you guys were collecting the, all that data and, and, and kind of going through that process of, you know, 90 some odd articles and, and, and be, uh, pieces of literature, what did you find to be some of the pros and cons of the method that the task for, force mm-hmm. used in order to collect this data? Um, did, you, did you guys find anything that really worked for you guys in amassing all that? Or, or were there barriers that you had to go through? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, one of the challenges was making sure that we all felt comfortable as a group, that we really had done an exhaustive search um, informing us as a task force and making the, the, the right final recommendations. So I think one of the challenges was just looking at all of the areas and finding the work within those particular areas that aligned with physical therapy and highlighting um, again, what worked and didn't work. And as I said, this task force was, it was a terrific task force. We were, we were all um, together almost every single time. We were just in unison in what we pulled from the literature and, and how we thought it actually applied to PT. So that was a pro. Um, we pulled from our professional experience, which was fantastic. And we had uh, a high level of diversity within all of our experiences that again, was another pro that we could then apply to this particular learning process for us. So that was, I mean, that, those were the, the, the pros were that we had a lot of ability to bring to the task force. The pros were also the fact that we were able to find uh, a tremendous amount of information that we could use in order to be able to develop a solid recommendation supported with evidence uh, from many different angles and many different areas. As I said earlier, not only within physical therapy, but certainly external to physical therapy. It, you know, Stephanie asked earlier about data and, um, you know, one of the cons is that we didn't necessarily have numeric data in how successful their outcomes were that they had established were in, in maybe um, measuring student learning. Um, I did have some, we did have some very specific pharmacy documents around their outcomes, but again, they were in the process of revising those outcomes when our task force was uh, formed and meeting, and now they're starting to publish a, quite a bit of the literature around EPAs, just like medicine. So, so those were a few areas that were a little challenging. I think that's really good to know, especially with all the really good pros of the task force, also kind of some limitations there to kind of give some context. And at least I'm going to go back up a little bit and kind of go more on this EPA route here just for a minute here, because you had mentioned before that pharmacy and medicine are starting to implement that more, as you were kind of saying, from what you had learned from the regarding mm-hmm. EPAs. Um, but then you mentioned this Chesbro et al. article that kind of talked about um, EPAs also well in physical therapy. Um, for our listeners who perhaps aren't aware of this article, do you think you could kind of briefly um, give some summary into what this article specifically said and kind of what are your thoughts on what we should take away from it? Um, the Chesbo article was, um, let's see, it's from 2018, and I believe the title is Entrustable Professional Activities as a Framework for Continued Professional Competencies is Now the Time and is in Physical Therapy. Um, 
And so they kind of looked at the values of EPAs for physical therapy. And again, this is my summary of it. <laughs> uh, the values of EPAs for physical therapy um, relative to the literature and or data around medicine and pharmacy. Um, and it kind of um, identified uh, areas of, you know, can the learner carry out the critical practice activities under the designated level of supervision. When we think about that EPA piece, that's some of the questions that they're asking um, whenever we look at the literature. And so, you know, one of the things was um, identifying what's the importance of partnering with the profession to develop that valid patient-centered EPAs um, that meets the needs of society and the profession. You know, do we currently have you know, the comprehensive assessment at graduation or competencies across the professional um, continuums. You know, how are we as a profession looking at that notion and do we have the measures in place in order to be able to do that or not? And that's kind of, again, that's kind of where I think medicine is, is taking that, you know, kind of part of that theoretical competency base and and how does that then translate, if you will, into the, the practice piece um, in, a, in a more application perspective? And so that was kind of you know, my take on, on, on that article was really looking at, do we have what we need or are EPAs maybe an opportunity for, for physical therapy in order to kind of move in that same direction? Gotcha. And I, I'm going to ask kind of a unique question on, on that one there, Lisa, just regarding the EPAs, because that's something that I don't think most of our listeners are aware of or perhaps heard of. Do you think that that's something that the PT profession will adopt with time? Oh, well, you know, that's a great question. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question. Um, you know, the webinar that Dr. Jensen hosted, who is also one of the authors on the um, uh, Chesbro article, it is beginning to explore that very question. And I think we're so early in, in identifying kind of what that endpoint looks like for us. I don't, I don't know if EPAs are um, what PT needs. Um, I think that there's some really good work that is, that is um, going on in our PT education research right now. It's so dynamic. We have the two excellence articles, again, by Dr. Jensen et al. that are really informative about, you know, where are we? What does excellence in PT education look like? Um, how can that continue to inform us? Um, you know, how can, we, how can we move forward in those areas if that's, you know, the area that we want to move forward in as a PT education program in order to reach those excellence um, kind of metrics. And um, I think looking at that particular information, looking at all the changes that are around us in higher education, bringing in some of the recent Sarasoli um, lectures, like uh, Dr. Jetty's lecture on flattening was amazing. And, and really just kind of thinking outside of the box of where we've been and where we can go. So I don't know that we know that answer yet. Again, I think that we are at a point where there's some really nice, um, solid educational research going on in our uh, physical therapy education models that will continue to inform us of kind of really what path is appropriate for PT education. But I do think we're at a point to where we're looking at that. We're willing to look at it and say, what is the right path? And, and if we do something that looks a little different, is it okay to do that? You know, looking at what those, those risks are and what the benefits are and is now the time. And that data, 
that information is now, I think, at a point where it's starting to inform us as a profession of how we're going to move forward. I just don't know the uh, answer. I don't know the end to the story yet, but I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat, you know, and I'm hoping to be part of that, uh, like all of us, right? Well, I think that these are, I mean, these are really, really big ideas, Lisa, and I really appreciate you sharing kind of you think is going to happen to PT education with the, how the task commending for ACAP. My question is, you know, you've read all these great articles, collected all this data through your experience and through the literature, but what are some of the unknowns and the limitations that you, that you're, the task force talked about in terms of um, what needs to be next as far as PT education goes regarding the standardized graduate outcomes? So some of the, the, um, some of the areas that we've identified as a task force, if the decision you know, is to move forward with identifying that common standardized set of expected graduate outcomes. Some of the challenges lie um, kind of within the application of the current literature that's out there um, to physical therapy education. Because, you know, we all, we all, we are all autonomous, if you will. We all have our um, profession-specific um, educational models uh, for good reasons, you know, we we have a set of standards that we are trying to meet, and we are all training professionals in you know uh, varied ways based on um, what the scope of practice is. And so we need to look at that particular literature and learn from it and identify what works for us, not just make assumptions that if it works for this profession, it must work for ours. Um, so I think. I think that's a challenge. Um, our, I think it'd be very important to make sure that all voices are heard within the profession. You know that that the PT education um, piece is also about that clinical education piece, not just the didactic piece. What about the research piece? What about residencies, associations, chapters, academies, um, all of these communities? I think need to kind of come together to um, to identify what that final outcome looks like, um, and that and then it's a challenge to bring all of those parties together. I've done that again at an institutional level in a little bit smaller scale, you know, of about six to eight hundred people versus <laughs> uh, all of those entities that I just named off would surely be many more people um, than that. So I think it's important to to be able to identify the priorities of all those groups and make sure that that we're bringing all of that um, together in a way that is represented. Um, at the very least adequately in order to inform what those outcomes would look like if that's the road that we choose to go down as a, as a profession. So I think, I think that's probably the biggest thing is to make sure um, that we're bringing in all the voices and all of the stakeholders. And in, in addition, we also need to recognize that there are a lot of physical therapy programs nationally and, and we do all have kind of our own autonomy as, as a educational program and it's important to be able to continue to stay true to that individual program mission um, at the same time as we're coming together as a profession to determine what those outcomes might be. So Lisa, based on where the task force is and with all the data, um, kind of considering the pros and cons you just discussed, what's the task force 
recommendations to uh, ACAPT on feasibility of identifying a common standardized set of expected graduate outcomes in DPT education? Well, that's a great question. We submitted our document to the board, um, ACAP board, in December of 2016, and um, you know, it is actually on the website. Um, and so, in general, what, what we had found was that it seems as though a common set of graduate outcomes for physical therapy could be developed um, based on all of the information that we found. And that information came to the board, and we're waiting for the board to kind of make a decision around those next steps. And so that we're just waiting to hear from, from ACAP to determine what the second part of the charge looks like. Because the board has also entertained a number of other task force um, outcomes, um, like the ACAP Student Readiness Task Force is another um, task force that was very, very busy. I, I think they even have a white paper that, um, that they were working on. Um, you know, looking at kind of that information came forward the same time our information came forward. And I think there were some other task forces that were also putting together some information. And so bringing all that information together, again, at the same time, we were looking at some contemporary, significant contemporary literature pieces come forward with the, um, the Jensen articles around uh, excellence in, in PT education. I think that they're looking at all of those pieces to pull them together to see what the next steps would be for a task force, whichever task force that is in the end, and how they integrate all of the information that they have been informed with into their next recommendation. So as I mentioned, um, our report is posted on ACAP's website. And so, you know, generally speaking, individuals could look at that and, and certainly see the details around what this task force um, presented to the board. But we're in a bit of a holding pattern in order to um, await what you know, their kind of informed decision will be in the end. Yeah, and Lisa, we'll link that uh, link to all of the uh, recommendations in the show notes. So if anybody wants to check out further details, they can do that there. Yeah, and that sounds like honestly like an overwhelming amount of data to synthesize and to collaborate <laughs> on. Like, I mean, you said 2016 there, and it's like 2018 now. I'm like, I can see how that can take a long time now because that was kind of one of my thoughts earlier. I was like, why is it taking so long? I'm like, oh, that's why it probably takes so long. <laughs> Certainly, you will. And there was a tremendous amount of, of, as I mentioned, information that went into the document. But again, because of the group that we had, I mean. Um, Terry Nordstrom was involved in the excellence articles with um, Gail Jensen, and so he brought a wealth of information from that perspective and the medical EPA perspective, along with, of course, everybody else on the task force, but it is a lot of information, and I know that that board of directors and all of the other individuals that are involved in that particular process are looking at all of that information with a very critical eye. It's, you know, whatever the next step might be is it's a big step. I think for, for the PT profession, we just have a lot of very skilled, you know, very well-educated individuals with uh, significant years of practice um, looking at those particular pieces in order to inform us best on what that next step is. Yeah, no, I think that seems to make a lot of sense. And, you know, at least I know you were talking earlier about um, pharmacy and medicine, how they're going along the EPA route for more kind of their standardization of graduate outcomes. Um, for other healthcare professions, for that matter, that perhaps 
have a standardized set of expected graduated outcomes. And I get, I, I understand that it's going to be different and we shouldn't always compare to other professions because we're unique, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. to kind of give some context, just for, to kind of see what other models are doing. Um, for some of the other healthcare professions out there that have a unique standardized set of graduate outcomes, do you know what their outcomes are? Um, well, I mean, I know uh, I kind of have an idea of what pharmacies was before they revised them. Um, I'm not exactly sure how they revised them whenever they did because I'm not privy necessarily uh, to that information now that our task force is in a holding pattern. But, you know, some of their educational outcomes were centered around um, the foundational knowledge, um, essentials for patient and, and uh, for practice and care medication use systems. So in pharmacy, you know, obviously their buckets, their outcome buckets look a little different, but again, it's around those fine foundational pieces um, of their profession. And I believe they've revised them. And I know there's, there is a, a pretty significant body of literature at this point around EPAs for pharmacy. And so I'm not, I'm not 100% sure how they're bridging that gap. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the translation is that these particular um, outcomes and our competencies, are, you know, they're looking at how can we translate that into the, the practice model. And, and when we have a preceptor who's supervising, how do we know that those kind of, again, those more theoretical competencies that, that we may lecture on and teach, how are they being carried out? in the clinic. And so, unfortunately, I don't know a whole lot more about pharmacies outcomes other than that and, and, or how I know that they're looking at the EPA piece. I don't know that they've really moved to that particular model yet. That's one thing that I've always found interesting about research, you know, whether it be educational research or scientific research is the translational component Mm-hmm. of how do you apply research to practice. And that is definitely very, very challenging. And kind of going off of that, I know that there are other task force that ACAPT has going right now to try to improve DPT education. Do you know, or could you give our readers just an idea of potentially what other task force ACAPT has going to try to improve education within physical therapy? Well, one of the task forces that we have kind of um, joined with in a bit of this holding pattern is the ACAP Student Readiness Task Force. And um, that that is the primary task force, I would say, that we've kind of um, aligned with um, within the ACAP um, charge model. Um, other than that, I, I believe there's a clinical readiness, um, but Beyond that, I must say, I know there are a number of them, but I haven't really been involved with any really beyond kind of our initial charge and the alignment with the ACAP Student Readiness Task Force. But I know that there are a number of them. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, as we greatly appreciate your support to help us advance healthcare education. We are very happy to announce that we have created a new tool to help develop clinicians into better experts. With that being said, we have created the HET Light Tool, which LIGHT stands for Learning Integrated Towards Expertise. And what we've done is we've taken our first year's worth of episodes with experts in the fields of healthcare and education, and we've taken one golden nugget or theory on expertise and presented it to you in a very easily consumable format so that people can take one lesson 
or nugget per week and map out and plan how to incorporate it into your clinical and educational practices. And by the end of the year, we think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how far you've progressed towards becoming an expert. To find out more, please check it out at pteducator.com slash H-E-T, which is also available in our show notes. Thank you again all for your continued support. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, Extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.